those of you who've read much of the Bible, in the Bible, does God ever show up and, and talk to an individual and say to that individual, what would you like to do for me today? Does that ever happen? Never. Uh, think about Noah. Did, did he come to Noah and did he say, uh, Noah, I'm going to set up a multiple choice thing here today and I'm going to give you a set of options and you get to choose which option you want to do for me and my kingdom today. Is that what God said to Noah? No. Noah had to uh, put his trust in God's plan because here's what God does. God reveals his plan to us. And then Noah had to decide if he would follow God or not. When God came to Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, uh, David, Elijah, Peter, Paul, or any other person in the Old or New Testament, any other person in the Bible, whose opinion was most important, God's or the person's? God's, always God's. Well, okay, if that's true, if God's imp uh, opinion is most important, then why do some people obey and some people disobey what God has to say? I think it's because it requires faith. Because God wants us to attempt things that are God-sized. Some people actually believe, I've been in, in lots of churches through my years, um, I've, I've been in the ministry 26 years now, 19 years as a youth minister in various um, Southern Baptist churches in Texas, and then the last seven years as a pastor of this church. I've run into a ton of folks who have been in churches for a long time that actually believe that God will never ask them to do something that they can't do in their own strength. And that is completely absurd. God always asks his people to do things that they cannot do in their own power. Because then God gets the glory. God wants us to do God-sized tasks. If I sense that God is telling me to do something that I know I can do in my power, that's one of the clearest indications that it is not from God. Because God wants to do things that are God-sized. Let me just run through some quick examples. Moses could not deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh's army without firing a single shot, by the way. He could not cause them to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. He couldn't provide water from, from a rock in the desert for all of these people or provide bread and meat for food every day for over 2 million people for a total of 40 years. Moses could not do that. Moses had to have faith that the same God who called and said, lead my people out of Egypt would also be the God who would provide everything that they would need. And by the way, God provided their needs one day at a time. He didn't give them a storehouse of grace and provision that they could go to and, and trust in. One day at a time, God said, follow me. And by the way, their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. Their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. That must have been a God thing. Joshua was the person who followed Moses as the leader of the Israelites. Joshua could not lead the Israelites into the promised land across the Jordan River at flood stage and cause it to dry up. When God caused it to dry up, it dried up 18 miles away. They were able to walk through on dry ground. Joshua could not lead the Israelites to defeat Jericho. The greatest walled city of that day on the edge of the promised land had to be conquered if the Israelites were ever going to... Uh, Conquer the land. They had to do this one first. They walked around the city and destroyed the city without firing a shot. That's only God can do that. Joshua could not lead them to defeat the enemies in the promised land. And by this time, they actually got good. God took a bunch of slaves who'd never used any swords or any type of marching or, or military orders whatsoever. God took them and then trained them so that they could take the promised land by force. Joshua could... This is one of my favorite stories. If you want to read this, it's in Joshua chapter 10. 
Joshua could not cause the sun to stand still for about a day is what the Bible says, so that he could continue chasing all of these people who defied the armies of the living God so he could utterly wipe them out, have a tremendous victory, so great that it caused everyone in the promised land, everyone in the known world's hearts to melt with fear because the God of those people was so great. And he did such mighty and powerful things that we cannot possibly stand against him. Joshua couldn't do that. Only God could do that. In the New Testament, the disciples, in their own strength, could not feed 5,000 people or 4,000. There's another one where, they, where Jesus fed 4,000. They couldn't heal the sick. They couldn't still a storm. They couldn't raise dead people. Only God could do those things. The pattern is God calls his followers to do things so big that only with God's power could these things ever be accomplished. And that's where faith comes in. You must decide what you believe about God and how you respond at this point. Let's everyone know what you really believe about God. How you respond at this turning point will determine whether you go with God and get to be in on something God-sized or whether you continue to do your own thing and completely miss the reason that God put you on the planet in the first place. God-sized tasks that only He can do or things that only you can do. What you believe about God will determine what you do. And what you do reveals to everyone what you really believe about God. Let me draw an illustration to kind of show this. You may have to bring up some more lights there, Justin. We have God here. And first on your listening guide is it says that God works. So I'm going to draw a line that represents God's work. I'll write it up here above it. God is always working. If it will hold still, I'll write better. Blame it on the flopping paper. Now... Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father never stops working, and so I keep working too. Now, God works. This includes before the world was ever created, before the first words of Genesis, all the way until the last words of Revelation. God is at work. So God was working to accomplish his plan before you were ever born. God was even working to provide Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for your sins before you ever committed a sin. God is always at work. Jesus said he's always at work. Second thing is, God wants a relationship with people. No, that's me because he has no hair. God desires, God wants a relationship with every person. The reason you were put on the planet was to have a relationship with God. The reality, though, is that not every person wants a relationship with God. It's a choice that you have to make. Now, if you choose to ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, the Bible says you're adopted into God's family. This is key. Because once you're adopted into God's family, then God invites you to join Him in His work. That's number three. God invites you to join Him in His work. Because God's work is more important than your work. God's work started before the planet existed, before the universe existed, before people existed, and God's work will continue after that. God invites His children, only His children, to be involved in His work. And at that point, when you say, Yes, God, I want to go and I want to be a part of your work, then, number four on your listening guide, is God speaks to you. You probably can't read that on the back. God speaks to His children. God speaks all the time by the Holy Spirit. We did a series on the Trinity a while back, 
Um, and we talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God who lives inside of all believers, and God speaks to you always by the Holy Spirit, but through four avenues. God speaks through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. And in all honesty, the reason so many Christians are weak is because they don't spend much time in their Bible. They really don't spend much time listening for God to speak. We, if, if we do spend time in prayer, it's with our list, like he's a, this this spiritual Santa Claus. Here's my list of things I need, God. I don't give a rip about your work, but here's what I need. And then we don't listen to other Christians who might have some insight that God, they can see from the outside. When I do counseling, very often it's easy for me to see both perspectives. The problem is the people are so involved in the relationship that they can't see from anybody's perspective except their own. And so I say, well, I think this is what they mean. Is that what you mean? Yes. And, and I think this is what you mean. Is this what you mean? Yes. You get outside the perspective. Too often inside the perspective, we can't see what's going on. We don't understand what's going on. God speaks to us, though, to other believers sometimes because they're outside your situation and they can see without the, the emotions involved. If every Christian you know says, run away from that person that you're dating, run away. Stupid? How stupid are you? Okay, we'll get off that. Here's what, here's what most Christians do, though. God speaks through the Holy Spirit, Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church. Most people look at circumstances and they say, oh, that's the one I'm going to latch on to. And the danger is we can read circumstances any way we want to. I'm so sick of people saying, well, if God closes that door or if it's a closed door, God, God doesn't want me to go there. Very often, God is waiting to see if you've got an ounce of faith before he's going to open that stupid door. Show me in Scripture where it, sh it says that you don't have to have faith, where it says that closed doors are not an open opportunity for God. Do you think the Red Sea was a closed door for the Israelites when they were being chased by the Egyptians? That's a big, fat closed door. But when God spoke, pfft, dry land. The Jordan at flood stage, I've showed you pictures of that. When Joshua was supposed to go across, lead the children into, into the promised land, flooded Jordan is a big, fat closed door. But when they obeyed God, 18 miles, dry land. Don't tell me that closed doors are always not God's will. God sometimes wants to do a new door. Or maybe the door's there and has a crash bar on it, but you don't even have enough faith to touch the crash bar to see if it'll open. We read circumstances any way we want to. Oh, they looked at me. They must love me. I think I'll marry them. If I had any hair, I'd pull it out. That's such stupid thinking. Now, God speaks to us, and there's a purpose for God speaking. God always speaks to reveal himself and to reveal his plans. The purpose of God speaking to you is to tell you, hey, the reason you're on the planet is not for you. The reason you're on the planet is because there's some people I want in my kingdom forever. My plans are bigger than you. The whole reason God speaks to you is so that you can be involved in something that lasts beyond this lifetime. And let me tell you something about God's plans. This is, I think this is on your listening guide. Yeah, it is. God's plans are always bigger than your plans. You heard of Mary and Joseph? Mary and Joseph wanted to get married and be a nice little Hebrew couple. Have kids, build tables and furniture, 
and live a nice long life. And God said, I want to bless the world through you. And so Mary's a teenager. She goes, okay. Well, the greatest responses to the angel of God was, be it done unto me as you've said. And they changed the world. And I've got a newsflash for you today. God wants to do the same through you. He wants to bless the world. Your life is not about your life. Your life is about fitting into something bigger and longer lasting than you. So it's always bigger than you. Second is it's always harder than your plan. God's plan is always harder than your plan. And that's why so many people bail on him. It's human nature to take the path of least resistance. We want to float through life and and not do anything difficult. And that's human nature. I read about, and this is kind of pertinent because if you had the five inches of snow at your house, I read about these two boys uh, up north that were walking around with snow shovels trying to find some, some uh, places to shovel. And so they saw this man out front. He's shoveling his sidewalk. And they say, hey, mister, can we shovel your sidewalk? Only two bucks. And, and the man looks at him kind of puzzled. He goes, can't you see I'm shoveling my own sidewalk? And he goes, oh, yes, sir, but that's where we get most of our work. People who've started and they get tired and they quit and they pay us to finish the job. Sounds like a lot of Christians I know. Oh, it's just too hard, God. God says, I know it's, it's not easy. I know it's going to be harder my way. But you know what? God wants you to grow up. God wants you to become a person of character. The only thing you can take into heaven with you is your character. And God wants it to look more like Jesus Christ. So he allows stuff to come into your lives. He's not going to remove all your problems because you'd be the biggest spoiled brat around. He's not going to give you everything you want. God is not a genie. God's plans are bigger and he says, I want you to be involved in my plans. God's plans are harder because they're God-sized. He's teaching us to be people who are grown-ups, not infants. Every pastor I know says he wishes his church was more mature spiritually than it is. My goal is that this church becomes the most mature church in Anderson County. And that's not cocky. I'm just saying what the Bible wants you to do. The Bible wants you to grow up. And my desire is for you to grow up. You're not going to get that by doing something easy. Anything worthwhile in life is going to be hard. And doing God's work is hard. But let me tell you one other thing about God's plans. They're always more rewarding. Lots of people never experience breakthrough in their lives because they quit before God's finished with them. If something is God's will, listen to me, if something is God's will, it's always too soon to quit. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. No one has ever seen or heard or even imagined what wonderful things God has ready for those who love him. You know what Jesus, you know how Jesus said you spell love? O-B-E-Y. He actually questioned his followers. He said, why do you say that you love me and you don't do my commands? Love equals obedience in the kingdom of God. Now, as you just look at your listening guide, four things. I want you to circle. Who is who's the one doing and talking in all of the first four? God. Circle God in all four of those. God is the one that's important. God's opinion matters. God is doing the working. God has been doing it before you were born. He'll be doing it after you're dead. He'll be doing His work. He'll be carrying out His plans. God is the focus. But we get down to step five, and that's where it leads to you. Because when God invites you, when God speaks, think about Moses when he saw the burning bush. When God says, I want you to lead my people out of Israel, he's like, out of Egypt, he's like, oh, no, 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 you got the wrong dude. 
That is much too difficult for me. Send my brother Aaron. <laughs> I think my brothers have done that. Not me, God. Send Doug. My, my brothers both used to be pastors. I'm the only one still standing. That's what somebody said to me the other day at, at a wedding. You're the only one still standing. And there's a reason for that. It's hard. You get attacked by the enemy and you get attacked by people who are supposed to be on the same team. When God speaks to you and he says, I want you to do something that is so big that it impacts the world, that's difficult. And here's what it's going to do for you. This is on your listening guide. It leads you to a crisis of belief. I challenge you to go to the scripture and find, find where this didn't happen. When God spoke to somebody, it was something so big that only God can do. Everyone came to a crisis of belief that required faith and action. Crisis of belief is... That hill is too big for me to climb. That hill is too big for me to move. And God goes, yeah, I know. I want to do it, but I want you to be involved in something that's bigger than you. A crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Because what we do at this point reveals, do I believe God? It reveals, do I trust God? Now, here's the thing. You cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. That's number six. People want to have a little bit of God as if he's some salt that you sprinkle on your life. A little bit of pepper that you put on your salad. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not a condiment. I'm the whole meal. And so you can't stay. When God speaks to you, you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. It is impossible. Sitting on your butt in a service does not qualify you for the kingdom of God. Big whoop that you give an hour a week. And by the way, we want you to. But how difficult is that? If there's a church in Palestine that it's easy to come to, it's this one. I don't care what time you get to bed. We start at 11. We're finished at 12. Everything else is an excuse. But just sitting here, you'll never experience God working through you. When God invites you, you come to this big, fat belief crisis and you say, hmm, either yes, I will obey or no, I won't. If you say yes, that's the whole key to today's sermon. Number seven, I experience God working through me to impact the world. Only as you obey do you ever come to know God by experience. This is why you can have someone be a Christian for 50 or 60 years and see no difference in their lives. They have not experienced something only God can do because it changes you and you want to be a part of it again and again and again. Our world is not seeing God because we're not attempting anything that only God can do. Let the world see God at work and He will attract people to Himself. Let the world see the difference a living Christ makes in a life on a daily basis, in a family, in a church. That will make a difference in how they respond. When the world, when Palestine sees God working in our lives, doing something that cannot be explained in human terms, doing something so big that only God gets the glory for it, then they'll come and they'll say, I need to know a little bit more about this power that's at work in you because it's not natural. And we say, you're right, it's supernatural. So you got a choice to make. At the end of Joshua's life, he said to the people, 
Choose this day, Joshua 24. You must choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. So the choice is you can serve the world or you can serve God. As for me and my family, we've made the declaration that we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm challenging you to do it with me. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I need to give you some instructions before we do that. If you've never done this before, then, then you need to listen real closely. You might want to jot some notes down. But here's, here's what the Lord's Supper is. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, he had a last supper with his disciples. And, and he took some bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. It wasn't literally his body. It was symbolic. He said, this cup represents my blood spilled for you. It was symbolic. But let me explain some things about the Lord's Supper. First of all, we look back at Jesus' death. We're supposed to do that. Jesus said, whenever you take this bread and this cup, do it in remembrance of me. He didn't tell us how many times a year we're supposed to do it. He said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So we're supposed to remember his death. It's not Jesus' life. It's not even his teachings that cause you to have heaven as your experience, to cause you to have eternal life. It's his death as a substitute for your sins that pays the penalty. We remembered why he died. He died as a substitute. Y'all know what a substitute is, don't you? Yes. Substitutes whoever comes in for Tony Romo on a good day. On a bad day, we want anybody to substitute for Tony Romo. Someone who takes the place of, right? That's what Jesus did. When his blood is applied to your life, you are no longer guilty before God because of all the wrongs you've done. Number three, we remember how he died. Jesus chose to give up his life. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the crowd comes, they've got clubs and weapons and all this stuff to come and arrest Jesus. When, they're, when they get there, Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, and Jesus looks at him and he goes, Surely, Peter, you know, I could ask my father and he would give me more than 12 armies of angels. But it must happen this way to bring about what the scriptures say. Jesus is saying, Whoa, whoa, whoa. God's work is much bigger than this one battle. Good, you cut off his ear. I'm going to fix it. Because that's not the battle I'm here to fight. By the way, if you're standing there and Jesus heals the dude's ear, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm putting my club down. I'm leaving because I'm not jacking with this dude. But Jesus said, I've got a bigger plan, a bigger battle than you cutting off the high priest servant's ear. He says, we could have won this battle if this was the battle we wanted to win, but my plan's bigger. He took upon himself the sins of the world because he loved you. And so the remembering we do is, is not just about historical facts surrounding the Lord's Supper. At the Lord's Supper, at the table, we don't walk around some monument or statue to the dead. We actually are in a fellowship meal with a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And this last supper that Jesus had with his followers happened during the Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, there were several different cups. There were four cups that they, they offered one another, symbolically reminding them of what happened way back when Moses led um, the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. The death angel passed over every door that had the blood of the lamb painted on it. And so they're doing this meal to remember the, the, the Passover angel. The third cup is what's called the cup of redemption. And at the middle of this cup of redemption, a redeemer is someone who did for you what you could not do for yourself. And when Jesus stopped here, his, his tough fisherman, tax collector, followers, their eyes must have gotten huge because he did something that everybody there knew. He stopped, he grabbed this cup and he offered it to them and he said, will you marry me? And, and we think that's really weird, men marrying men. No, here's what it related to. In the Hebrew custom, 
If you were going to get married, you would send your, you and your father. I, my father and I would go to Janie's house. We would negotiate or my father would go to, to negotiate with her father a price for the bride. After they agreed upon a price, I would get up, take a cup to Janie, if we were Hebrew, and I would say, this cup represents my life. And she knew full well that if she were to take that cup and drink of it, it symbolized to me, I accept your proposal, I accept your life, and I give you my life in return. So when Jesus gets to this point, the redemption cup and the Passover meal, he looks at these men and he says, this is my life. Will you marry me spiritually? This is before we got the teaching that the church is the bride of Christ. That comes up later. But spiritually, he was saying, if you take this cup, you're saying to all around that you accept my life, the life of Jesus Christ, and, and you give me your life in return. That's why the Lord's Supper is such a huge deal. When we come to the table and we take the cup, we are saying to Jesus Christ symbolically, I accept everything that you give of yourself, and I turn around and I give you everything of myself. I remember full well... When I proposed to Janie, we were at the Hemisphere Tower in, in San Antonio. And I proposed to her as like we were the only ones there. And I said, will you take this ring? I put the ring on the table and she's thinking it's earrings because I told her I was broke and couldn't afford a ring. And she said, it's probably stupid earrings. When I reached over and I opened it up and it was the ring, I said, will you marry me? Taking that ring, she placed it on her finger. She said, yes. She knew full well what I was asking her. So when you go to the table today, God is asking you to look at yourself. And the way you do this, you're supposed to confess sin. i got to speed this up. We're supposed to look within. If we have sin in our lives, willful sin, we are not supposed to come to the Lord's Supper. If you confess it, then you come. We're supposed to look around. The Bible says if you have uh, issues with other Christian believers, you're not supposed to take the Lord's Supper until you make it right with those other believers. It is impossible to grow in your relationship with Christ and have problems with your relationships with other people. But I'm not asking you to do a spiritual autopsy and open up for everybody to see right here. Once you've confessed, then you can come and you can take the Lord's Supper. So the last few minutes of our service today, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to examine yourself. This is a big deal. And when you're prepared to take the Lord's Supper, we're just going to play some music in the background. You can go to the back. Dwayne's there. James is over here to your right. I'll be over here to your left. If you have a commitment offering, you just bring it and you put it in the, in the basket. No big show there. But you don't have to have a commitment to take the Lord's Supper. Examine yourselves. When you're ready, you come. If you want to come as a family, I encourage you to do that. Come as a family. When, when everybody's done, then the band's going to come back up and we'll, we'll dismiss with one final song. Some of you haven't taken it. You can go ahead. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do it, remember me. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. As often as you do this, remember me.